Hello there. Many years ago, there was a podcast called The Cut, which came from a different era, a time when Brooks Kepka was the dominant figure in major golf and when Rory McIlroy was in a long major drought. Then, at the start of the strange lockdown months of 2020, there was The Pepper Pod, which, mostly because people initially thought it was a dog-related podcast, lit up like a supernova before collapsing in upon the weight of its own nonsense. And the presenters went their separate ways, one to a stage tour with Labradors, the other to writing a thesis on the teachings of Matt Letizier. Now, the component parts of the two come together like a golf podcast supergroup, the travelling Wilburys of golf podcasts, with Ian Carter being Roy Orbison. Now, it might be the start of something very special, or it could be dissolved after three episodes amidst bitter infighting, and we'll never speak of it again. But here we go. Welcome to a new golf podcast. Welcome to the Chipping Forecast. It's time now for the Chipping Forecast, issued by Folding Pocket on behalf of Andrew Cotter, Eddie Pepperell and special guest Ian Carter. Welcome indeed to this new podcast, um, because we all know the world needs more podcasts, more people saying stuff about things. So welcome to uh, the other two voices. I should introduce myself. Hello, I'm Andrew Cotter. And the other two voices who will accompany us on this journey, esteemed golf broadcaster Ian Carter... And tour player, golfer, thinker, Eddie Pepperell. Hello, Ian, and hello, Eddie. Hello, Andrew. It's good to be here. It's good to be reunited once again as your guest on this podcast. <laughs> you have to treat me nicely. I just quickly before uh, Eddie says hello, I will say that the, there are technicalities about this podcast. We, so this isn't a BBC podcast, although we are on BBC Sounds. We're like little... Uh, little birds that sit on the back of hippos, just riding along on BBC Sounds, pecking away at insects. So we're we're using BBC Sounds. We're on BBC Sounds, but we're not a BBC podcast. So Ian is a a guest, a regular guest. So I mean, <laughs> every single week we here, he's very regular. Uh, and Eddie is just Eddie. How are you, Eddie? Hello, Andrew. Thanks for that kind introduction. Yeah, just come off the golf course with Matt Letizia. Actually, had a thirty-six holes this morning, so um, it's all good. Yeah, no, he's a good, good golfer, I think. I don't know if he's a good golfer or not. Anyway, um, so we have to introduce where we all are because Ian looks as if he's, I don't know, being held against his will somewhere. We can see you on screens. You might be watching this. This is what we do now. Podcasts are all filmed as well. Ian, where? well, we know where you are. It's US Open Week. Yeah, I'm on Sunset Boulevard. How exciting is that? I was so excited when I saw the address of the hotel that I'm staying in for the US Open at uh, LA Country Club was Sunset Boulevard. I have to tell you, it's next to a freeway it's a four-way highway that you take your life absolutely into your hands if you want to go anywhere near crossing. And so far, I haven't seen anything um, like from the the movies or anything like that, supposedly in Beverly Hills or something like that. But uh, yeah, here for the US Open, I think it should be a fantastic week. First time at the LACC. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the course. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk at length about the US Open. I think this part, because it's the first one, uh, and thank you to anyone who's listening, getting in on the ground floor of whatever this might be. It might just be a ground floor, it might be a bungalow, a, b- a bungalow of podcasts that goes no further. But I think we'll be here for a while, hopefully we'll be here for a while talking about golf and life. So we'll talk about the US Open at length in uh, in just a few moments. But um, we do have to talk about the genesis of this podcast, which I've just hinted at a little bit. It's taken a wee while to to get going. I mean, first of all, the name. I think Eddie, when you... It's on the name, the Chipping Forecast. He's sort of, ah, ah. but that's because you've never heard of the Shipping Forecast, Eddie, have you? No, that's news to me, Andrew. I had to say. 
you're not a Radio 4 listener or, I mean... No, Radio 1 was the extent of my BBC uh, listenership and I finished out when I was about 15 and moved on to uh, different radio stations, but I never made it to Radio 4, unfortunately. Some people even thought that we did have, um, that they had suggested the chipping forecast and they'd come up with it, but you did a Twitter poll. But we, we had this, the chipping forecast a long, long time ago. It was, it was almost going to be the name of the cut. It was, and it was suggested by someone in, in the BBC, and I, I'm not sure who it was, to be perfectly honest, but they deserve all the credit in the world for it, because we did think it was very funny, but then for whatever reason, we decided to go with the cut, and then we decided that we were going to do this podcast, and we then needed to find out a potential name, so we put a list, and I said, okay, I'll do a Twitter poll. I did a Twitter poll, I can't even remember what was on there. I think three off the tee was my suggestion, and you were very meh about that and uh, three off the tee absolutely romped home on the pole however we did discover in the process that there is already a three off the tee which is done by some really good guys actually so uh, we couldn't have used that anyway and I think like the cut because we added we did a similar thing in the cut where we put up candidate names and none of them got through and then we just made up our own name thereafter so we wasted a lot of people's time on twitter well that's what twitter does so uh, yeah i wasn't i thought three of the tea just sounded a bit like a radio four comedy or a a song by jimmy tarbuck i can see him singing it in a pringle but that's more entertaining than a shipping forecast to be fair i quite like the shipping forecast i fall asleep to north at sierra south at sierra um etc etc fitzroy um dogger German bite saying stuff again that Eddie doesn't. This might become a theme throughout the podcast in that um, there'll be cultural references that Eddie might not be okay with, but then he'll say something as you know millennials do, and we'll go, "What's that? What what is your TikTok chat?" And we won't be speak for yourself, Andrew. Yeah, um, so, yeah, you are down with the kids. So um, that's how the name came about. Otherwise, the Mulligan was a, a decent one. The Drawshank Redemption was. Uh, I loved that. Yeah, that was quite good. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not all all about puns, but there we are. A good talk spoiled was quite a good one as well. Eddie, what did you fancy? I didn't even really see the names that were suggested, but the two you just mentioned there, Andrew, I thought were very good actually. The Drawshank Redemption and uh, a good talk spoiled would have been perfect, especially with my involvement. But um, hey, it works. The shipping forecast works perfectly. I mean, why would I look at the shipping forecast, Andrew? If, if Why would I need to go and watch it? Can you explain that to me? You listen to his late night on Radio 4, it almost closes down programmes, and it's just, it's a very gentle suit. If you have trouble sleeping, the shipping forecast is, is brilliant. I mean, it was started in the mid-19th century by a chap called Fitzroy, who was captain of HMS Beagle, and he's actually got one of the areas named after him, Fitzroy. It was very, very important. Of course, now on a, every ship, they've got all the radar that they need, but they, they still listen to it to, to sort of check their check their data. So here we are on our golf podcast talking about the actual shipping forecast. You wouldn't need to listen to it, but it's quite nice to sh- check what the, you know, fall asleep to listening to what, what the weather is going to be. So here we are, this dynamic new podcast talking about the shipping forecast. Right. Um, again, I've explained a little bit about the housekeeping that uh, Ian is going to be here as a guest, but he's going to be... I- I'm a guest and you've got to treat me nicely. <laughs> a regular guest who takes up residence in the spare room and uses your Netflix password. So, right. But there we are. So we are going to cover all such matters. We will come to the US Open. There's the huge story in golf, obviously. I mean, but I, I think in the first podcast, podcasts demand hot takes and opinions and things like that. But I think... We want to just sort of feel ourselves into that. You don't want to blast it off the first tee and go full Bryson. You want to Ches Reviate off the first tee and just pop it down there, get a nice par in the bank, 
and see how the front nine progresses. So, um, although I think Eddie might just go all guns blazing in the first episode of this podcast. Well, that's unlikely. I mean, I don't use a driver, so, um, you know, literally and metaphorically, I will be playing it safe. Right, Ian, as the man who knows everything about everything, I was reading a great article about in the, the New York Times about the origins of the, not merger, it's not a merger, it's a... It is a merger. How it happened, it's, ex- I mean, it's obviously extraordinary, there's a lot of hype, hyperbole in, uh, in, in sports journalism, but this, it really is extraordinary. It is. I mean, would you like, first and foremost, a little digest of the, the kind of golf news of the week? Can you do that in a dynamic fashion, not Ches Reavy? I can try. Hybrid down the middle? I can try, because there's just so much to, to, to get stuck into, and obviously we're going to get stuck into the merger. But, um, I mean, first question has to be, how do you upstage the biggest win of someone's life? Run onto the green, spray him with champagne, then get rugby tackled by a security guard and go viral? Uh, that obviously happened to Adam Hadwin. He was flattened after his Canadian compatriot Nick Taylor won his home open, holding from 72 feet to deny poor old Tommy Fleetwood at the fourth extra hole. Fleetwood, though, I think is trending at a very good time with the US Open this week here at the LA Country Club. Great to see Dale Whitnell get his uh, first win uh, at the uh, Scandinavian mix, getting over the line there really beautifully with a gutsy performance to win by three from Sean Crocker and Van Dam tied third as the leading woman. Gabs Cowley came in uh, in fifth uh, with the second lowest round of the final day, belonging to Eddie Pepperell, who came in 12th. And all eyes this week, of course, on the US Open, the fallout from the proposed merger between the PGA and DP World Tours and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. That's the hottest topic here in Tinseltown, no doubt about it. And already this morning, I can tell you, that I'm getting news that Rory McIlroy has pulled out of his pre-championship press conference. Oh, God, I thought, I thought you were going to say he's pulled out the US Open. That was uh... No, he's pulled out. No, more important to the journalists, he's pulled out of his press conference. And, and so what are they all going to write about? What are we going to write about with Rory not providing the quotes? But it just shows, I think, you know, uh, the, the whole scene has just got so noisy for him that he's just trying to dial it down. I, don't, I mean, that, that would bring us on to our US Open chat to talk about Rory there. So I'm not going to jump ahead of ourselves then. I want to talk about, very quickly about your Swedish experience. Uh, sounds strange. Swedish experience, Eddie. You were high, I mean, 64, 65 in the final round. Actually, the guy you're playing with, Hugo Townsend, amateur, shot 64, didn't he? And you were, uh, you were very excited about him as a talent. Yeah, well, his dad, who you possibly played with being a similar generation, um, he uh, <laughs> apparently played Ryder Cups, and uh, Hugo told me that his dad taught him growing up and what a job he's done because uh, his all-around game was fantastic. He's a tall lad, hits the ball a good distance, but he's got good touch around the greens, and I think he'll go on to have a good career. I think he's, I think he actually turned pro yesterday, he told me, although I did joke coming off the 15th green that he should stay amateur and just see what his handicap would be after handing that card in. So, no, good young player and actually a really good tournament. I haven't played it before uh, in a mixed version in Sweden and uh, I really enjoyed it. I think it's something the Tour should absolutely pursue and, and try to do more of in the future. I think the girls added a different dynamic. I think some of them in particular would have brought a lot of value to the tournament. You know, it's rare that a guy like myself goes to a tournament and actually looks out for somebody like Lynn Grant. Uh, she's a genuine, somebody who I genuinely respect and, and admire, actually, with the way she swings the club. So it's nice to have that experience. How does one make it fair for, because only four women in the top 40 when you're competing for, for prize money. The course for women was 5,767 yards. 
from men 6,819. But you were saying that actually it wasn't about that. It was about the Greens set up actually for women who can't generate quite the amount of spin. It was actually quite difficult for the women. Yeah, that particular course was, I mean, a lot of the Greens were set above them. And uh, for instance, the first two days I played with a, a left-handed girl called Kim Matro, I think, and from Switzerland. And she was on countless occasions going in from the same distance as me and, and Andy Sullivan, but she was hitting an A time where we were hitting maybe an, a gap wedge or a pitching wedge. And it for her was like playing, it's how I felt like playing Beth Page Black back a few years ago and it just felt impossible and they were playing a different golf course and their inability to get the spin and the loft required into the greens just made it ultimately impossible I think for them to compete and that's why you would see the girls at the top like Anne and and Gabriella they they indeed do have quite a lot of speed so they were able to kind of uh, get past that so I don't know how we make it fair I played with Liz Young on the Saturday who was frankly very honest and she her opinion was you, you just can't there's no way of doing it. The men just uh, play a completely different game. And that, I think I'm, I think there's some truth in that, if I'm being quite honest. But nonetheless, I do think we should try our best as a tour to include them where we can moving forward, just because I think they, they do add some, some good value and a different dynamic. And uh, I think it would I think there's room for it right now. I quite like the idea that they've had at the, the Vic Open where you have separate competitions, but all at the same time on, on the course. So the women would be playing against the women rather than against the men. And they would ha- be having a women's competition, but they'd be sharing the stage and obviously um, sharing the the TV coverage and getting the exposure from from that. And I think that kind of system works works really well. Um, I don't know what you think, Eddie. Yeah, I mean, I played in uh, Northern Ireland a couple of years ago where that was the same. Yeah, Gal Gorm. That's right. So I think that's the same as that. And But I, at the time, remember being a bit disappointed in feeling like it, well, it was separate. And I, I remember being disappointed in that and... I, what I quite enjoyed about Sweden was the fact that we were all in the same competition. Now, maybe the way we could overcome that is to play together, but to have separate competitions, which isn't what happens in Northern Ireland. You play with the men and they play with the girls. I mean, I quite enjoyed playing with, with the girls because it was something a bit different. Um, so if there's a way of, you know, hybridizing it a little bit, if, um, if that's even a word or a possibility, then uh, I think we should. Um, I'm going to do a sort of segue here into into the US Open by talking about the fact that you didn't, why, why, or oh why, dear BBC, why, or oh why, Eddie, did you not want to try and qualify for the US Open? Bearing in mind the qualifying was held at Walton Heath, where you won the British Masters. Was it just not, just didn't fancy, just didn't fancy it? I would say there's two uh, overarching reasons. One, going to LA for a week at this time of the season is uh, a massive hit on the on the body and not something that I think would fit in well with the schedule and B, uh, speaking quite honestly, my game isn't even remotely close to face the US Open Challenge, so there's just no point in me in me taking taking that on. See, I, I would say, and this is where Ian and I are going to be throughout this podcast, we are going to be your, and for anybody who knows me, they'll say this is madness, we're going to be your psychologist and try and build you up a bit, because you do get quite down on yourself, and you're talking about Brooks Koepka at the USPGAs after he won it, saying that's the, mentally he's the strongest guy you've ever seen in golf. You shot 65 in the final round. You've had a couple of just uh, one in, just inside the top. Since just coming back and playing, just inside the top 10, one just outside the top 10 and another. Okay, you had a 10 and a par three and withdrew in one of the other ones, but let's leave let's leave that aside. Do no, you... no, let's not leave that aside. That's interesting. How did the 10 come about? Well, that hole is a dastardly little thing. Uh, it was only a wedge. It was the wrong club. I should have hit nine nine, if I'm being honest. Hit a good shot, come up short in the water and then um, tried to play it out of the water, which was a, a mistake and... 
left it in there, I had to go back to the drop zone and just uh, took it on and kept taking it on and kept taking it on and kept getting it wrong. And um, there was a 10. And so very quickly, I thought, well, I'm, I'm out of here. And actually, it's the first time ever I, I checked out the hotel and my car got towed away, actually, in Hamburg. So it was <laughs> it was a pretty sorry 24 hours for Eddie Pepperell. Oh, starting to start past himself already, though, as well. So, yeah, um, I don't I don't know. I, I know it's, it's interesting that you are so uh, realistic about things that you say, OK, the travel's one thing, but my game's not good enough to play in the US Open. But you don't think sometimes, A, it is, but also that you sometimes you know what it's like in golf you could have a week where you just get there and magic happens. Something special occurs because that's what golf does to you. One week you can just find it all. Yeah, but not at US Opens, um, not at the highest level of golf, if you're not going there with a skill set that's in good order. I mean, 2017, for example, I actually came 16th at the US Open when Brooks won, I want to say, his first major at uh, Erin Hills. And only five months before that, I lost my card. So there was a massive, you could make the similar argument that what was the difference there but I remember at the time I was playing really really well when I went to the US Open and I was hitting my driver and hit a lot of great iron shots so my game was in quite a different space to where it is at the moment where I'm not hitting a driver my short game is still a bit in and out and um, I just know the face you get at the test you get at a US Open and uh, and frankly I don't need to put myself through that right now doesn't mean to say I don't believe in my ability moving forward in a year's time could be in a different space and I hope to you know get there but uh Right now, I'm trying to be realistic and, and focus also on Europe. Be deluded and bullish. That's what most people in the world seem to do now. Just just say things loudly. But it's a business decision, Eddie, isn't it? It's a business decision. You've got to think what's what's best for you, you know, going into what is the most exciting part of the of the season coming up, you know, culminating in the, the Scottish Open, then the Open and all of that. You know, it's 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 about being in the right place for those events, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I'm entered to play four times in a row. If I get in the Open, that'll be five in a row. Um, you know, if I was to play the US Open, then I wouldn't be playing uh, in Munich. So yeah, you've got to think about the schedule. And, and my priority is absolutely on Europe this year and, and well, indefinitely, really. Listen, despite all my big talk, I know exactly where you're coming from. And Ian knows I, I know that. It's, um, I was playing it. I was... Um... I'm, ju- I'm just concerned that you could... And you're touting yourself as some kind of psychological coach. I'm not. Right. To anyone. No, no. I'm, I'm obviously a psychological basket case. So I uh, uh, I was playing at Hoylake the other day. And uh, it was one where Broderick Harrington was there. And he was playing with every group on the on the 17th, the new par three. And by the time I got to the 17th, I was in such a state of disarray <laughs> that I just refused to hit a wedge. I refused to play the hole with, with uh, Podrick, so I just didn't, didn't <laughs> You play. didn't. <laughs> well, you didn't. Did. In fact, and I remember playing in a pro-am at Wentworth where, you know, you're allowed to uh, ask the pro to take, ask your pro to take one of your shots for you throughout the round. So I asked Stephen Gallagher to hit my tee shot on the first hole because that was, I mean, that's, that's perfectly... I just don't like, I can't take it. So, um, But I can talk a good game on behalf of somebody else who is genuinely talented, like Eddie, and say, come on, fella, come on, big fella. Come on, come on, you're good. Do you remember when we played together in the Pro-Am at, at the at BMW PGA, Andrew? Well, the one where Ignacio Garrido didn't say a word to us all around. No, we, we were on the, uh, we started on the 17th and Bruce Forsyth was watching us. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, Does, is it, are you queuing up a Bruce Forsyth impression? No, no, but you, you, snap, you snap hooked it. We were on the 17th, so into the bushes and the trees all down the left. Into the house. Yeah. Mark Bright, remember the footballer? He he was playing with us. He snap hooked his, and then I stood up and hit mine. And Ches revived it two hundred yards down the middle, 
and and Bruce Forsyth, who was in the other group, going off. Oh, said, here it comes. Well done, well done. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. Do you remember That's that, John Inman? Yeah. I don't... Um, yeah, no, that was good. That was I do, I do, I do remember. Pressure. Oh God, he still has it. Um, no, I I hadn't blanked that from my memory. I do remember him being there and watching, and uh, yeah, good times, good times. Anyway, listen. Uh, so we've just touched upon the PIF. It's not Live and PJ Tour. It's PIF, the Public Investment Fund. So, what do we think? And what was the vibe? What was the chat out in uh, out in Sweden, Eddie, about things? Because it seems that uh, on the DP World Tour pretty far down the food chain in terms of finding out things. I mean, nobody knew apart from four or five in the inner circle, but did, uh, what was the general chat about how things are going to play out? I think just huge uncertainty. You know, no, none of us knew when I was flying, actually, when the news broke and landed and uh, opened up my phone. I must have had 50 or 60 messages. It was it was crazy, and I just couldn't believe it. In fact, I nearly asked the pilot to turn turn around, uh, reboard, and just go back home. But um, just crazy uh news and we actually had a meeting with keith that evening the players committee did for an hour on the phone just to ask some questions which were i suppose was somewhat illuminating but generally not uh, i'm not even sure how much he really knows about where this is all going to go and um indeed you know recent days with what's happening in the u.s with the doj there's so much up in the air here so um players were asking questions but ultimately none of us know really what's what's going on it was just a, a bolt from the blue that's the interesting thing, isn't it? The, the, and we can move on to it. The, the Department of Justice in, investigation that is that is ongoing into the PGA Tour, but also uh, the fact that this could ultimately be blocked on kind of uh, because it's it's creating a monopoly um, in terms of this p- pulling together the funders of the Live Tour with the DP World Tour and the PGA Tour. So there's so many hurdles and obstacles, and I don't I don't even think like the four or five people who are the architects of this really know how it's going to play out because you know if this is this was you know the initial thought when it came through was oh my goodness the golf wars are over we've got peace everyone's everyone's come together but now the fight is going to be almighty between all the different constituent parts to try and get the the best portion out of this deal isn't it yeah absolutely and i think there are some uh interesting thought experiments you could play forward here if indeed it does get blocked what's likely to happen and i would say with quite a high degree of confidence we should expect a couple of very high profile players to probably jump ship to live if uh if that was the case so you know the status quo remains as currently is in place but there will be players that jump over to live um so if you're the if you're if you're somebody like myself who obviously wants the kind of uh established tours to continue to be the stronger tours in golf uh because of you know bloody blah what it represents then you would hope that this goes through because i think if it doesn't then there could be an incredible almost just another round another wave of top players who who do actually go across to live you're interesting eddie when um you know you're talking on 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 twitter and there can be reason chat on twitter that you uh said that you know the whole thing had actually tested friendships for you and uh, you know i mean one in particular but that you hope that can all be resolved now but it just shows the sort of depth of feeling throughout the the past year and now yeah, I think I responded quite emotionally initially in the early days. And as time's gone on, I've I've thought about things more rationally, logically. And although my thoughts are pretty much identical now as to what they were at the beginning, you know, you accept certain things. I do think um, there are a lot of question marks over what this actually means for Liv. Should this go ahead? 
Uh, I think there's there's good reason to believe that Live will, if indeed it does continue to exist in 2024 and beyond, it will look quite different. It will obviously then naturally have to fit in uh, the global schedule of golf, which is kind of one thing that I think we've all thought and felt needed to happen. Something actually that Keith pushed for in the very early stages. And again, this does highlight Jay Monahan's hard-headedness and frankly just terrible leadership throughout this whole process. And, and I think he's the guy that I'm just... I, I I can't really believe he's still got a job. Uh, the job he's got just because of the the about turn that he's he's gone through, or uh, the fact that I mean, there's there's there've been admissions now that one of the reasons that the the PGA Tour have done this is because they can't afford to go down the route that they were going down of the deeper prize funds for the designated events, and also the amount that the legal action was was costing as well. Yeah, so two things on that. One, I think, relates to the second part is is the bit of arrogance on maybe his part, but certainly on someone's part to just not get around the table in the early days. You know, for him to turn around and say that after sitting down with Yassir for ten minutes, he 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 learned he could trust the guy. I mean, you've had two years to sit down with this guy for ten minutes. That's an outrageous thing to say, given everything that's transpired in the last twelve months. And Again, it's an inability just to look beyond the borders of the US to see what's happening in the wider world. We see it because we're from the UK. We, we travel the globe. We we get that there's different ideas, different investment, different trends. And, and I think just such poor leadership on Jay's part, I'm afraid to not envisage how some of this could play out. And then obviously, to the former point you, you made there, the impact it's had on the guys like Rory, who, who you know called, referred to himself as feeling like a sacrificial lamb, 100%. He was the guy I thought of straight away when I heard this news is what is going through Rory's mind. Because I know I'd be picking the phone straight up to Jay and, and asking some seriously hard questions here. Yeah, and I'm not going to feel tremendous sympathy for um, players. You admire them for being loyal to what they thought was the, the correct thing and they thought they were going to be doing the right thing. Turning down millions, hundreds of millions um, in, in some cases, you know, it's very difficult, as I said, to feel sorry for, for, for people who are worth millions who, are, who have turned down hundreds of millions. But there is going to be an issue of compensation uh, now for... For certain players who who did turn down that money, now I'm not talking about Chesson Hadley, who I see um, was asking if if there would be compensation um, at a recent press conference. Chesson Hadley, the world number 291, is wondering if the, if the, he was going to be compensated. Um, but I'll just I don't think at all. But I'll just say on that. Uh, so I don't think there should be any compensation for any player, um, because mm. if you compensate Rory, then you should compensate Chesson Hadley, because Brendan Steele has gone to live, Cameron Tringali has gone to live. They've been rewarded. There is no difference. This is the irony, and this this exposes Liv for what it is. The fact that Chesson Hadley can, in my opinion, actually rightfully complain that he's due compensation reflects the weakness of Liv Golf. And equally, if Rory gets compensation, I don't see why Chesson Hadley shouldn't. So in my mind, no one should get compensated. And, to, and the other side of that is these guys did take a risk. Uh, they went to live. They took a risk. They've been rewarded financially, and that's life. So... I don't think there should be any compensation that's handed out. Ultimately, that's probably not what's going to happen, but that's my opinion on it. One of the suggestions is that by way of compensation, these players will be given stakes in the new entity, which is the commercial operation between the PIF, DP World Tour and, and, and PGA Tour. But there's just so much to, to get ironed out. Oh, ironed out, so that's that's not... It's good. Thrashed out. I mean, it's... Uh, Hang on, they're two live teams, aren't they? I ironed out and thrashed. <laughs> yeah. uh, the irons, the thrashes, and the chessons. But do you see um, the, the 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 I can't remember what they're called now. That uh, Phil Mickelson's team they're in they're in trouble because they're they're being sued because their badge is is very similar to 
some other company I, that I, said, I do know this because I was just reading about it. The high Flyers. High Flyers, that's uh, it. That's it. Now, that would have been very similar to us if we'd have called this three off the tee. They'd have also been in battling a legal suit, I would have thought, with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've had a merger with um, with uh, three off the tee, our compatriots in, in Northern Ireland. Right, listen, um, we shall move on because it's such a big week. Because it's major week, it's US Open week, we'll move on. But we'll just take a quick pause. Now on BBC Radio 4, there's trouble at the golf club as a new member takes on the ladies' captain and gets more than he bargained for. Sally Phillips, Bill Nye and Miriam Margolis star in Three Off the Tee. So, the US Open, the toughest major in town. Um, LA Country Club. It's quite an interesting history, LA Country Club. I mean, it is... All the courses in that area around Los Angeles are uber-exclusive, and you think of Riviera and, and Bel Air. And, but LA Country Club has resisted the overtures from the USGA. They, they wanted to host the US Open there for many, many years. It's never hosted a US Open, but finally they've acquiesced. I don't know if you've had a look at the course yet, Ian, or you just... No, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had a chance as yet. I, I wouldn't say fresh off the plane either, but I'm off the plane. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, it looks really, uh, really interesting topography. You know, there's been some great work done by Gil Hans and Jeff Shackelford to to revamp the course and restore it towards the the original um, design. And it looks absolutely fantastic. But then my heart sinks when you always see it. And it you know, it's one of it's tradition like no other US Open week. You get um, social media stuff that of players dropping balls into the rough and it going to the bottom of the Bermuda grass and you just think, oh, is it is it going to be, you know, a, 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 a bomb and gouge kind of week? I, I think the course is, is, is more interesting than that. I don't like the fact that one of the holes is a 290-yard par three. I mean... Downhill, that, though. Oh, good. Um, yeah, but uh, but equally... The setting, the topography of it, the barranca, the 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 shapes of the greens, the co- they are genuinely green complexes. I just think there is the chance that it could be a fantastic stage for a, you know the kind of major that we really need right now with all the politics going on. Yeah, I would say that um, uh, Jeff, Jeff Shackleford, who was involved in the sort of redesign with with Gilhans, uh, he, he did uh, he did sort of respond by putting a video out where he was dropping a ball beside a green at one of the runoff areas that didn't have so much rough and it's just sort of so I think there's a, I don't think it is blanket blanket thick stuff around the greens as we saw in that year. I don't know why they put out that video that the USGA because it's just showing this is this is how uncreative we are. We're just going to grow the rough up and uh, play into Victor Hovland's hands or Kepka or whatever it might be because takes the creativity out around the green. So um, uh, the, uh, just on, on choosing this as a course, I, w- I was interested to read that. Um, one of the criteria for the USGA now is they don't go for how many spectators can we get in logistically. This is going to be quite tight. They go, they ask the, the, the players, where do you think the players might want to play? And they actually directly ask them as well, say, well, well what a course this would be. So they're only going to have 22,000 spectators per day for this. Whereas Hoylake will be upwards of forty, forty-five thousand a day, so it's more about a sort of a player's U.S. Open, and uh, and again the setting is extraordinary because it really is surrounded by by LA, by West Hollywood, um, Beverly Hills, <laughs> Beverly Hills. The Playboy Mansion is right by the Thirteenth Green. So, um, did you know that there there used to be 
tunnel from Jack Nicholson's house to the Playboy Mansion. I, I haven't made that up. I did read it somewhere, so it must be true. And Warren Beatty and James Caan used to... Lionel Richie's got a house ne- nearby as well, apparently. <laughs> Good, you're improving the topic from my chat about the Playboy Mansion to Lionel Richie's house. And they've got the Reagan Terrace, because this was where Ronald Reagan used to play golf in his retirement or... Or just hang around, having a. What do you think of U.S. Open setups and the and the you know the the obsession that USGA have had uh, seemingly every year to to have level par as the the winning score? Eddie, is that your kind of golf? As a viewer, one hundred percent. I think it's absolutely what they should be doing. I, I I'm disappointed when the U.S. Open isn't a brute because I think it's one week a year. And when I hear players complain about a course setup that's uh, they have to just face one week a year, I always think ah, you should you get over that. It's it's about more than that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the players complain after this one, hearing what Andrew just said about them actually having input on this venue. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Golfers are notorious for their... Uh, well, I don't know, I'll leave it at that. But um, Jen could tell you more about my, my state of mind on a daily basis and whether it makes sense. But... I, I think I like the way the USG tends, uh, tends to set them up. You know, they're tougher the better for me, certainly as a viewer. And even when I've played them in the past, you, you generally do get the best players that win. So um, that says it all, really. And, and the fairways are actually really wide at this course. So you're talking 40, 50 yard wide fairways uh, on quite a few of the holes. And when you talk about the big, big yardages, I mean, there are a couple. And it's standard in terms of it being a par 70, but out to about 7,400, 500 yards. But within that, there are so there's a 290 yard par three from the tips, 280 yard par three as well. So there are two monsters. But there's also on the 15th, I think we can go down to it can go down to about 90 yards. I mean, it plays about 120 yards usually. So it's got a bit of variety about it. This course, actually, and you're talking about the topography. It's it's an interesting course to look at. Yeah, and and because of that, the 40 to 50 yard fairways in width don't play that way because of the the cambering and the, yeah. and, the and the contours as well so uh, they have to be that wide but i like that that gives players choices of where where they need to go and they and you know and the, the strategy comes into it three monstrous par fours to to finish where you know pars down 16 17 and 18 they're just going to be golden yeah, it is a it is a, a brute of uh. I mean, who's it going to suit then? We will. I think we'll we'll do our predictions at the end of this section. But um, and this isn't going to be a. Please don't listen to this podcast if you want to. You, we'll be slightly informed of our tips, but don't get angry at us if they're if we're way off the mark. When I see on social media sports people getting abuse, ninety three point eight percent of the time, it is because the person has had money on that sports person and they've. They've had a poor finish or whatever it might be. So don't get don't get cross with us. We'll just give you some pointers. But who do you think it might suit, Eddie? I, I'm not actually sure I can answer this question because um, last year I I tweeted about Tiger's son, uh, jokingly said me and Jamie and my caddy had a hundred pound bet that he would win on the PGA Tour, which we we never had a bet. But I jokingly said it, and I had the um, integrity officer from the DP World Tour call me up and demand that I take the tweet down and run me through for 20 minutes the rules and regulations. So I'm not actually convinced I can give any advice tips. So I'm going to sit this one out and, uh, and yeah, let you guys give your tips. Okay, so one thing we're making absolutely clear here is Eddie is not giving tips. Who do you think is playing well in the world of golf at the moment, Eddie, in majors? I think Victor Hoffman's playing tremendously well. I think Brooks Koepka's playing well. Scotty Scheffler tee to green is the man, and I think you can win a U.S. Open without putting your socks off. So I think, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler could, um, again, I'm not giving tips. This is not investment advice. This is not, please do your own research. But um, 
yeah, Scotty Scheffler is, is a wonderful ball striker at the moment. Yeah, I'm 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 worried about Scotty Scheffler's putting. Actually, I'm not worried. I don't care if he wins or loses. But uh, if I were Scotty Scheffler or Scotty Scheffler fans, then I would be uh, yeah. But maybe you're right. Maybe maybe you can win. So um, I actually think what he should do is what I did last week and actually in Dubai last year. So last week, well, I just wind it back to DP World Tour Finals last year. I snapped my putter on the third green on the Friday. Uh, it was a bit of an accident. I got angry, threw a bottle at the bag, hit the putter, and snapped it in half. So I had to putt for the last fifteen holes with a lob wedge. And Sorry, I, just quickly, how hard did you throw a bottle at your bag to snap a putter? That's pretty hard, but it's one of these Odyssey putters where the, the shaft is now graphite and steel and there's a real weak point. So, you know, for anyone buying a putter without shaft, just be very careful. So I had to putt for the last 15 holes with a lob wedge and actually putted unbelievably well and gained on the greens for the rest of the round, which was incredible. And I hold a 40-footer up around the tier and the, the the Pepper Army, quote-unquote, were going crazy. They, they couldn't believe it. They went from walking in on the third green to just going crazy on the 15th. So anyway, last week I, I, I was putting badly, real bad, actually. Um, and I just practiced all weekend putting with a wedge and putted much, much better on the weekend. So I think it might be something as simple for Scotty Scheffler as just putting with a wedge. It's incredible how good that is for you if you're struggling. There's a little golfing tip. You didn't putt with your wedge on the weekend. You practiced Sorry, yeah, so in Sweden, I should say, I did use a putter, but I practiced all weekend with the... I didn't hit any putts with my putter before I went out. I just hit it with the, with a lob wedge. Do you remember um, Ben Crenshaw against Evan Darcy in the Ryder Cup in 87 at Muirfield Village, and he broke his uh, his putter and ended up putting with his one iron. So you remember that well, Eddie. I think I was four years unborn, yeah. Four years unborn, good. Um, yeah, so... Gentle Ben. Gentle Ben, what a putter he was. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so Ian, who would you... I, I, hang oh. on, can, sorry, can, I, I just want to just pick up on Eddie because I think it's interesting. So what does practising putting with a wedge give you that improves your putting when you then putt with a with a putter? And let's face it, you shot 65 on Sunday, so it obviously worked. It takes your mind off all the technical stuff and basically forces you just to focus on strike um i tend to i hover it as well so you'd hover it you're setting up on the equator of the ball you have to strike it perfectly to hold the putt you know you could start from four or five feet i actually end up putting from 20 30 40 feet with it quite a lot um because i think it's really good to if you can putt well from distance with a lob wedge as well then it encourages lots of good things yo slouten actually did a good video for the uh, tour a couple of weeks ago where he, he explained the same thing he does exactly the same thing and i would encourage anyone to go and find it and watch it because he uh, articulated it better than I just did. But um, I think you'd be surprised how many pros actually end up doing that. I know I've, I've heard Tyrrell do it. I've even heard Tiger do it in the past. So he's uh, very good at focusing just on the strike. And then you, you pick your putter up and it just feels that much easier. For instance, I missed a two-foot putt on the Friday on the final hole. I didn't touch the hole. Honestly, it was one of the worst putts I've ever hit. And I was thinking I might be looking for a new job, but I just did that all weekend. My caddy told me to do it on the Saturday and went and putted, putted nicely. So, um, yeah, it, it does work. Are you easy to caddy for, Eddie? Believe it or not, apparently so. Yeah. Well, this might become a thing, actually. I like this being at the start of this uh, very first podcast of the Chipping Forecast, and it might become a thing, Eddie's regular tips. Eddie's tips, and then you just give a little bit of advice like that. Um, tremendous. Some pros are much better teachers than others, though. Some pros just do it. And, but you you seem to have quite a, a, a detailed knowledge of the swing and what's happening. Think too much, Eddie. You think too much. Well, right, uh, Ian. Um, Eddie's unable to give tips, but he's just giving us a couple of names and interesting thoughts. Um, what you do with that information is entirely up to you. Um, what, what about you? 
Well, I mean, he's gone a bit quiet of late, but John Rahm, when he turns up in California, usually wins, doesn't he? Um, and so uh, I think, yeah, he's he's inevitably someone that you've got to look at, especially after his disappointment at the at the PGA, where he was just out of sorts. The name that jumps out at me is is Patrick Cantley, who's a bit of a local boy here. He's number four in the world. He's just lived... I mean, he, last time out at Memorial, he was outside the top 10, but basically... He posts top 10 after top 10 after top 10. His major record is pathetic for for someone of his of his talent really, but this might be this might be the one for him. I I like the the, the you know I I think it's a ball striking it, it it's going to be a ball striker isn't it that that does it and then you know <laughs> Brooks Kepka's been in the top 2 of the first two majors this year so winning the last one uh, he's got that that mentality, and you know, I, I remember after that PGA, Eddie, you know, just messaging us and just saying, you know, has there been a golfer with greater mental strength? And my goodness, he he showed it, didn't he? And at Oak Hill, and you know, he knows how to win U.S. Opens, he knows how to win the U.S. PGA. So, should we actually have that? We shouldn't have this debate, but maybe for a future one. You know, I, I was going to post the question: Is Brooks stronger mentally than Tiger? Uh, I don't know. I think oh. Uh... I mean, it is. It's a very good debate. I'm not saying I don't know about uh, having the debate at all. I think it's a very good debate. But... Have we got an email address? People could um, could could let us know. It'd be interesting to know what people think on that. Matt Letitier at Hotmail. At PenaltyKing.com. And that email address for you is thechippingforecast at foldingpocket.co.uk. There we are. That's our email address, which we're all very, very familiar with. I mean, I'm only a guest here, and I'm like suggesting emails and things like that. I don't. I shouldn't really be doing that, should I? Yeah, you should. Of course, you should. You're a guest with privileges. Okay, and that sounds a bit weird, right? So, um, I would say then in Hovland's, obviously, the form man has been mentioned. Um, Cantley went to UCLA. Um, brings his exciting brand of everything to the game. Just great to watch. Um, I would say Deshambo. Um, you know, he's. He just looks so much healthier. He just looks so much better. His injuries have gone. He's lost a bit of weight. Still incredibly stacked, bulked, big man. Um, he's a Californian, so I don't know why that should have any bearing on things, but sometimes it does. Uh, Justin Rose, I like the way he is trending, as they say, and his driving was actually... Ten years on. Ten years on, so uh, from uh, Marion, and his his driving was pretty good in Canada last week. It hadn't been good at the USPJ, and he still managed to top ten it. And you top that's a verb to top ten it, and yeah, he's he's really really consistent now. That the sort of awful Honda experiment has has disappeared. So I think he's one to look at. I quite like Jordan Spieth as well. I think he's just the kind of guy on this that a U.S. Open test presents that I think he might be one to look out for. I think it, I know. I said I'm not going to give any tips. Um, no, I'm kind of going to go back on this already. Here's just a name that I think we should be keeping an eye on for the next six weeks, and this includes the US Open and the Open, and that's Cam Smith. Get your money on Cam Smith, says Eddie Pepperell. Andrew, behave. I don't know what his, his I mean, his form since he went to live. The thing is, with the live golfers is you just don't know what their form is, because it doesn't matter what they do in the in the live tournaments. Why do you say that, though, Eddie? What's what's your, your hunch on that? Well, great final round at the PGA. Um, here's two courses coming up that I think going to suit him a lot more, particularly Hoylake. But if you're telling me the fairways are wide here, you know, barring a few tough par fours, you're going to have a big second shot, big second shot course, great around the greens, obviously going to help, which he is. From what I've seen picture-wise, somebody, I think it was Billy Horshaw, referenced that it visually to him looked like playing an Australian type of golf course. So 
I uh, I just think Cam Smith's he's playing all right. He's been playing quite well from what I have seen. And don't get me wrong, I don't see a lot of live golf leaderboards. But I know a final round at the PGA, I think he's ready to come back in and have a good a good spell of golf. There we are again. These are not these are not recommendations. These are just observations from Eddie with his wisdom. What are the observations on Rory? I mean, Rory has has turned into a bit of a live player. He's in the last couple of weeks. He's he's played well for fifty four holes, and then mm, on on Sunday, that's going to upset. That's going to upset some people, that, Ian. Um, <laughs> it's just an observation. He's so good, or his standard is so good that he can be in indifferent and still be top tening it again. To use that verb on the on the on the PGA Tour and. He, just looking at his, sometimes it's not borne out by the stats, sometimes his approach play, his wedge play actually seems to be quite good by the numbers, but watching his wedge play, I mean, that has always been his, you know, since he's sorted out his putting and, and regularly he puts pretty well now and his driving seems to be back to its best, but his wedge play just doesn't strike you as someone who's going to be knocking it, knocking it within five feet every every time. It's uh, it's uh, it's very interesting and, and also... Is this course going to play into his strengths of being able to hit it long and straight? I don't know. I, I don't know if this course will really suit him. Ian will be able to to tell us once he's had a look at the course. But what do you think of when you look at Rory Eddie? I think his game is definitely trending in the in a in a good direction. The last two weeks, last two tournaments he's played, <clears throat> he's definitely played better, and obviously he's got himself in the position. I I get the feeling with Rory. His next win, he's going to kind of kind of blitz it a bit, and I'm not sure he's capable of blitzing a US Open right now. Could be wrong. Um, just don't think he is relative to the other guys in the field. So I, I just don't know that he's maybe in the space with his game where if he's up final day up against John or Brooks or somebody like that right now, he's going to he's just going to get over the line. But I would expect Roy to have a big six months um, moving forward. I think he's he's turning the corner with his game. Swing looks better from what I've seen and. Uh, yeah, I think he's got the bit between his teeth again. Ian, I mean, the fact that he's not speaking before this one just shows how weary he is of it all, of being the spokesperson, of being the parent, because you know exactly what he's going to be asked um, this week. And then all the questions about you know winning a major again. And I know there's a, a bit of a responsibility to to talk, to share thoughts with the media. And sometimes after frustrating final rounds, he hasn't done uh, uh, chatted to the media. But I, you can kind of understand where his head is at the moment. Yeah, and I think he's got so much credit in the bank, really. I mean, it, it will be a source of frustration for, for everyone, the USGA, for the media, the fact that he's he's not talking. But, you know, he's given us so much over the years that, you know, I, I can I can fully understand why he does. He just, because he can't, he he answers honestly. And when, when a question comes, he, he answers it um, fully and honestly and, uh, and with and he says stuff and so he makes headlines and I think he just wants to be under the radar and there's, there's no win for him in going in and doing this because people will be hammering away a much wider audience of questioners compared with Canada last week following up on everything that's been said all the nuances uh, that that are emerging as far as the merger is concerned and because he's been the spokesman, he'll get all the questions and he'll say something and he'll make headlines and he just doesn't need that. He's got a major to try and win. Yeah. Listen, we're um, we're going to keep an eye on the time here. This first podcast, because it's the first and because it's US Open Week, is going to be a little bit longer than standard. Usually we'll try and be around about the 45, 50 minute mark for your dog walk or for your exercise or for, I don't know, whatever you do, uh, your drive in the car. So um, we are going to wrap things up on the on the US Open here 
And perhaps, I don't know if the integrity officer would allow you to just pick a, a name, Eddie. Is that what, in your 20-minute phone call, are you allowed to do that? You don't have to. But we could have a little challenge throughout the season. Who could score more or points, more winners? Yeah, okay. So I'm I'm not, to be clear, and there's no money on this. Uh, so that should that should clear me of any wrongdoing there. Um, but Cam Smith is going to be my, my pick for the week, yeah. Okay. Ian? John Rahm. John Rahm. Cam Smith. We've all got to give a different name as well. So I would say Brooks Kepka, but I think that's a bit dull, as is Victor Hovland. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say Bryson DeChambeau. There, I said it. There. No, I'm not. Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth. There, I've said it. Jordan Spieth. Done. Done. Um, so we'll have a little point system which will work out at some point. And one person we've not mentioned and we should have done really is Matt Fitzpatrick, bearing in mind he's the defending champion. And he's, he's and not, playing well. Yeah, he's not playing badly at all. So I just love his mentality. I love the way he goes about his game. His teeth, his teeth are looking good as well. I see the braces have come off and they're looking Oh, the braces are off now, are they? Yeah, what an example. You know, these golfers who get fake teeth, that does my head in. They just go and buy, you know, 30 grand's worth of fake teeth. Matt is the example of playing the long run, perseverance, and he comes out with his own teeth looking great. So, yeah, all credit to Matt. All, all credit to Matt. 30 grand, is that, is that what those, those teeth cost? Probably more. On that note, let's move on. Now on BBC Radio 4, a broken window beside the golf course leads to an emergency committee meeting. But is the vicar really to blame? Bill Nye, Miriam Margolis and Danny Dyer star in Three Off the Tee. So that's the US Open and other matters done, so we should round up. I did want to talk about one huge story, not Adam Hadwin getting tackled or Chesson Hadley demanding 50 quid for not going to live but um ian's club championship the club championship because we talked about eddie 65 so on the same day i think you were powering it around uh, your golf course and not your own personal golf course but um golf course you play in how many shots and well it, it's it's always a dilemma the club championship because it's it, it falls on the weekend before the u.s open which is also a weekend where i could play cricket and i think it's fair to say i should have played cricket um so and, and that's and and the most frustrating thing about it all is that I, we, my my course starts with two par fives, and I was putting for eagle on each of the first two holes, and and successfully and comfortably made my birdies. So to then be two under par going to the third and finish with a ninety-two, with a ten on the seventeenth. I should have played cricket. We we appreciate you talking to the media, giving us your time off, and so thank you. That ninety-two, so you should have, you should have thrown a bottle at your uh, bag. Interestingly, did you ever think about NRing? Because that's not. Um, I did. Because I used to have a terrible habit. I remember playing in the Our Club Championship once many, many, many years ago, and I NRed. I used to do a thing whereby if it hadn't gone well in like the first five holes, I would just I would just NR. But then I had to write a letter of explanation to the committee as to why I NRed, and I could have just said, "To who am I concerned? I put two balls out of bounds in the fifth. Yours sincerely, Andrew." You NR'd on the fifth. Yeah, I mean, if things are going really... Well, it's like when I used to play computer games. When I was on a ZX Spectrum as a youngster, and I wanted to try and complete Manic Miner. If I lost a few lives early on, I would just go back to start. Game over and start again. Yes, but that's you can. Yeah, that's the digital world. We're talking about golf. Yeah, but... You NR'd on the fifth. Yeah, what you have to understand about me, Ian, is that I am a quitter. <laughs> and if things get too difficult... It's like Homer Simpson said, if something's if something's difficult, then it's not worth doing. Um, no, I just, I, I used to get very frustrated. Used to get very frustrated, as if I don't anymore. Um, 
park runs, like if I was on for a, if I targeted a PB in a park run and after th- two and a half kilometers, I wasn't feeling it, I would just clutch my hamstring, go down, just <laughs> <laughs> people with dogs and buggies passing me. Are you all right? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just, ah, oh, the old hamstring. Got a piriformis stretching. <laughs> Whereas really I was just crying because I hadn't, uh, hadn't been on schedule for a PB. My theory with this stuff um, is that over the course of, say, 12 months, and I'm talking a bit about myself here, obviously I play professionally for a living, although occasionally withdraw, as you've, as you've seen. Um, you know, across a 12-month period, how much time and energy do you actually expend um, in those moments where you know you're fighting a lost course? So to your point, you know, you're, you're, you're running after a PB, you know you're not going to catch. And in my mind, if you at that point quit, quote-unquote quit, you can actually save that energy in the bank to expend in the, exactly. in the future when you're actually in a place physically or technically or with your game where actually that 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 in what you've got in the bank is getting that credit in the bank in terms of energy or whatever it might be is gonna is gonna really help you have those good weeks because it's those good moments it's the good moments that people remember and like everything in the world no one's ever going to remember me having a 10 or ian or you know ian shooting a 92 or whatever you shot and, and andrew you know running a kilometer in 17 minutes or whatever you did <laughs> Whose dog's that? That's Olive. Olive's, Olive's uh, yeah. shouting abuse at me for NRing in the past. I have to say, on the 14th, right, I'd sprayed my drive right into the trees and put down another to to and to provisional, and and hooked it left. So and short left. So I went looking for the provisional first. Couldn't find it. My playing partner couldn't find my original drive, and I'm like, great, I can just NR now. I can NR, and then I stumbled across my ball. Which was a real disappointment because I hacked it, hacked it out with the second, and then shanked the third out of bounds. I think there's a, it's <laughs> it's admirable to continue and put in a score, but, and I suppose the thing is sometimes if I NR'd after five or six holes, obviously that's terrible, and you might think well the round could be turned around, turned around, but I'm kind of with Eddie, and that was giving my powder dry for future for future NRs. Well, because I wanted to have some energy for them as well. Yeah. Or for trying to complete Manic Minor. It's tough, isn't it? Because, um, you know, God loves a try, but uh, I'm not sure God lo- I don't think God loves anyone. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, let's... <laughs> you need to get together with Scotty Scheffler, Eddie. So, right, okay, just a couple of other things. I, I know it's about four weeks away. We're concentrating in the US Open, but I've been at Hoylake quite a lot over the last couple of weeks. It is burnt brown yellow. It's extraordinary. They, I, they do need a bit of... I like a yellow brown... Links course as much as anybody, but my goodness, the rough is uh, is struggling there. It's uh, it's all a bit dead. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But the infrastructure they've got now around there, two hundred sixty thousand fans coming in. So that'll be uh, that'll be something. And one other thing this week to look out for is the women's amateur championship is down at Prince's. So that'll be a good one as well. Slightly overshadowed by the U.S. Open, but we'll keep you up to date with uh, things that happen down there. Look out for there's a sixteen year old um, uh, Thai amateur. Thai, women's golf Thailand seems to be taking over from um, from South Korea in terms of being the powerhouse so keep an eye on things there anyway enjoy Los Angeles Ian you wouldn't really get to see much of it will you unfortunately I was awake at 2 o'clock this morning so I'm not sure what state I'll be in come the evening today but I'm going to try and do a bit of sightseeing if I can I think I should but I'm really looking forward to seeing this golf course really looking forward to covering the US Open should tell you that on Five Sports Extra on Saturday. We have commentary at 11 o'clock. This is for the BBC Sounds listeners. And uh, also on Five Live at 10 o'clock on Sunday. And it's going to go way into the wee small hours. Uh, We'll have full commentary on the final round. Yes.
I stress again, we're just riding along in the hippo. We're just a little pecking birds riding along in the hippo of BBC Sounds. But I welcome to you for listening on BBC Sounds. Ian, enjoy the US Open. Eddie, are you going to, what are you doing in your week? Do you just grind away on the practice ground or do you just take it easy? Uh, I'm having a quiet week. I'm a bit tired and uh, practice ground is in my house, thankfully. Now it's a simulator form, as you've seen, and I witnessed you trying to swing it above 100 mile an hour, which I think you did actually succeed in doing. Oh, look, I'm going to show you something here. Look at this. Look at this thing here. It's it, so, uh, just quickly, doing the, when I was, we were doing a clinic with Padre Harrington down at Hoylake, how far does he hit it now? It's unbelievable. Um, he hit two drivers, driver off the tee, driver off the deck, into the wind in the 615-yard 18th and, and got it there. And um, But anyway, he was doing this clinic and he said, if you want to hit it further, I was about to do a, a Bruce Forsyth-style impression there, if you want to hit it further, you've just got to hit it harder and you've got to swing harder and swing harder. And he says, there's this little portable launch monitor you can get. Um, and I really recommend you get this. And it's, it's great. It's just sort of, it's really accurate, blah, blah, blah. So then I, I immediately went and bought one of them. It's not like Trackman. It's not like, you know, costing £20,000. It's very, it's very, How much? very cheap. I mean, r- cheap. I'm not going to listen. I'm, this is a, not a BBC podcast. We could do product placement, but I'm not going to say how much. It wasn't much. But anyway, it is, it is pretty accurate. So I have since been struggling with my thoracic spine trying to get it above 106 miles an hour as the fastest I can get it is just well that's with a wedge obviously but um but then I found out on the website endorsed by Podrick Harrington he's an ambassador for it and that's why he's telling everyone at this clinic to buy this <laughs> it started this partnership the week before and there he is Podrick doing the doing the sell but he's he's a great guy but he for someone who's 51 now Podrick 52 51 unbelievable distance. I mean, it's just frightening. So, there we are. I'm not going to endorse that. He's in the field this week. He's in the field. Well, he was interesting last week. He said he's got to get his game head back on because he's doing so many other things. But, you know, you saw him in the the Champions Tour in the majors there. He's been... I wouldn't rule him out winning another major, honestly. That's big talk to end this podcast. But um, can I change from Jordan Spieth to Podrick Harrington? Yeah. Thinking about it. Yeah. No, I'll stick with Jordan Spieth. Right, anyway, that's it from the chipping forecast and this inaugural, this pilot episode, which will just crash and burn. But we'll be here again. We'll be here in 30 years' time in the chipping forecast talking about what a wonderful major win that was for Android Killbot 3000. Um, so hopefully it's the start of something impressive and something long-lived. And uh, thank you for listening to this first episode. Ian, thank you very much indeed in Los Angeles. Cheers. Eddie, thank you very much indeed in rural Oxfordshire somewhere. Cheers. And uh, thank you to you for listening. We'll see you again next week. Now on BBC Radio 4. Trouble again at the golf club as too many visitors becomes a problem for the committee and the junior captain is arrested for running a vice ring and threatening to kill any witnesses. Bill Nye, Mary Margolis and Samuel L. Jackson star in Three Off the Tee.